0: Jesus' name, amen. You can find your seats. Thank you for being here tonight. I know it's a busy time of the year, a new semester, still trying to get your footing with your classes and with the new things. Some of you are involved in maybe some new organizations or it's, you know, for those of you who are upperclassmen, maybe sing season, all those sorts of things pile into those first couple months of the year. And so uh, we, we love these nights. I usually feel like in those moments, that's usually where God you know, brings the right people into a room like tonight at the right time to hear the right message. That certainly happened to me many times when I was in college. If we haven't met, my name is Drew Humphrey. I am a little bit older than you. I am 31, almost 32, so I'm old and bald. Uh, but I, too, was a Baylor student, and I, too, was a college student here at Highland. And uh, And God really changed my life a lot in this section over here where you guys are sitting, so I really believe that the Lord's going to, you know, change your life tonight, okay? So, If you are new to Highland or new to college tonight, we're gonna open the word and we are going to to really stick in it. And so tonight we're gonna be in Joshua chapter seven. Uh, Joshua seven is uh, gonna be, the book of Joshua is about the sixth book in the Bible. So start at the beginning and go through. Big one right before it is Deuteronomy, then you'll find Joshua right there. And really tonight what we're gonna talk about is secret sin. There's something within us that desires to hide our sin. It desires within all of us to, to live this double life, to come to tonight, tonight's like tonight, to, to go to our small groups or to, to show up to our roommates and, and sort of put on a front. And no matter, you know, whether you're in a marriage or a relationship, whether you're in a CG, your best friends, it can be so hard to be your true self, to share what you're struggling with, whether that's some sort of serious sin or habitual sin, or maybe it's just, you know, hey, I'm really wrestling with these things just to have that confession, It's true of all of us. It was true from the beginning. Adam and Eve, the very beginning, what did they do? They not only sinned, but then they had secret sin. They tried to hide it from God. This is what we've done from the beginning, and you and I do it, and today we're going to see that an Israelite man named Achan did the same thing, and really we can learn a lot from this sort of tragedy of Achan's life. Speaking of tragedies, have any of y'all been to Fazoli's uh, in here? Anybody been to Fazoli's? Do you like Fazoli's? Because if so, like come to the altar right now. We're gonna lay hands on you, and Lord's gonna release you from the powers of fazoles, Okay, so um, I I don't have a problem with the quality of the food. I have a, a problem with the quality of the restaurant. Okay, so when I walk in there, it's like dusty. Like there's like a, you know like flies dead on the like you know like the food the tables you know, and I'm just like you know I wonder what's in the pasta you know back in the kitchen right? If, if this is if this is what's in you know, the the dining room, what does it look like in the kitchen? But one thing I appreciate about Vizzoli's is that they're just open about it. We don't clean here, okay? So I love that. It's like in the kitchen, in the dining hall, you know what we are. If you wanna eat here, great, right? The dangerous places are the ones where the dining room looks great and the kitchen is disgusting. Right, Those are the ones that you're scared of that honestly you would rather just not know about. That's why I love Chipotle because you can just see right in the kitchen. I wanna see how you make the guacamole. I wanna see how you make the rice. I wanna see it all come out so that I can eat it right there. That's why I love Chipotle so much. Right. So, so this is, is what we're talking about as well when we, when we talk about our faith, not just fazolis Secret sin is a lot like these filthy kitchen restaurants. It's interesting in these restaurants, we, we, they put up walls, they sort of hide the messy places behind everybody who, who walks in. Often we put up walls, we hide behind them so that people on the outside look and, and things appear clean, things appear put together, things appear trustworthy, they appear safe, we appear trustworthy, we appear safe, when the truth is the thing that maybe no one else knows is that, is that there's a lot of disgusting, there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of brokenness Underneath, and the truth is, we're a mess, we can be liars, we're filthy. I know this because that was a huge part of my testimony from the time I was 12 years old to the time I was 22 years old, living a double life like that, where the kitchen of my life didn't match the dining hall of my faith. So, Joshua 7, it comes in one of these incredible moments in the Bible. If you've grown up around the Bible or you've you've written your scriptures class or scriptures class, whatever, right? You, you remember this that the God is, is leading the people out of Egypt and he does this incredible work to get them out of slavery. And then he, he basically has them wandering for 40 years based upon some you know parts of their sin and their disobedience. So they've been wandering now for 40 years. The city of Jericho is gonna be the promised land, but that city has to fall because it's the enemy. You remember they walk around it for seven days and, and this all happens in Joshua 6, the chapter right before the one that we're in. Where they walk around it and, and just literally by God's power, not by dynamite, not by, you know, animals that are strong and can pull down the walls or or anything, any weapons, but just by walking and worshiping, the walls of a city fall, and God's people take over this promised land. And that's sort of where we pick up this story right here at the peak of, of this exodus, really the, the the moment that they have finally arrived. Let's begin reading in Joshua chapter seven, it's gonna be on the screens. It'll also be in your Bibles as well, I'm sure, or on your smartphones, but you can look on the screens if you'd like. Joshua chapter seven, just read the first few verses to begin. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of those dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of of Carmi and the descendant of Zimri and the son of Zerah and the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. And when they returned, they told Joshua, this is important, this is their report, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. And since there are so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. They're basically saying, this is an easy one, we got this. This is, you know, A-team group versus F-team group on your intramural field. It's like, we don't, we don't need to send the A-team out there. We're going to be okay. But as we see, the secret of Achan has been set in motion. See, these devoted things, these things that were set apart for the Lord, they were what? Uh, the the defeated enemy of the Canaanites, right? Like they had all of these items. They had beautiful items, expensive items, silver, gold. And and so God had told them, do not take those things. Do not bring those things in. Do not bring that into your house. And the Israelites people were not only warned once, but they were actually rewarned multiple times. The leader before Joshua was Moses. You've probably heard of Moses. Moses actually warns them back in Deuteronomy and then Joshua, even in Joshua chapter six, the day that the walls fall down, it's like we're about to walk and worship and this thing's about to fall. It is the moment. He says, guys, don't forget the most important rule. Don't take the devoted things. We good? Everybody good? This is about to be crazy. It's gonna be crazy. After the crazy stuff happens, don't take the devoted things. Does that sound like anybody who knows? Does that sound like your life? Does that sound like the disciples in the New Testament when they would see miracles of Jesus and then they would go and they would doubt? But does it sound like Adam and Eve who, who saw all of this incredible relationship and power with God, and then, and then the second they have an opportunity to go against God's word, they do it. Old Testament, New Testament, your life, my life. See, God is faithful to warn us about what is godly and what is not. He's always faithful. He was faithful in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in our life. He's faithful to warn us. They were warned by Moses. They were warned by Joshua. And do not be deceived. We, like Achan, have also been warned by God. The boundaries he's laid out are clear. And I wanna tell you something. They're for our good. They're for my best. In love, God warns me through his word and through conviction and through other people speaking into my life. In love, God isn't trying to hurt me or hold me back from certain things. He's trying to protect me. Back in Moses' uh, in Moses's warning, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, they're the, not their current boss, but the leader before him, Moses, he said it this way. Uh, Moses said it in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses 25 and 26, listen to this. Not just that they shouldn't do it, but listen to an important why. Why should they not do it? It's on the screen if you wanna look. You must burn their idols in fire. You must not covet the silver or gold that covers them. You must not take it or, here we go, here's wise, it will become a trap to you for it is detestable to the Lord, your God. Do not bring any detestable objects into your home for then you will be destroyed just like them. You will be utterly, you you must utterly detest such things for they are set apart for destruction. Let us not be misled, but instead be warned by a loving God. Proverbs fourteen twelve. If you're a note taker, write down Proverbs fourteen twelve. It says this: There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. See, see, Achan got all caught up in what he what made sense. It was like, oh, I wanted these things, and so, but I knew I shouldn't have them, and so I, maybe I need to keep them a secret. But it just makes sense. It'll probably help my family. It'll help these things. A way that seems right to him. But God had said, don't do it. And in the end, it, it led him to death. And, and only Achan knows about this and the consequences of his sin begin to play out. As we continue reading in Joshua chapter seven, let's read verses four through 13 this time, a little bit of a larger chunk. Joshua seven, four through 13. So remember, they, they think these guys, these guys, they're easy. We're gonna go in there, bring the, bring the C team. We're gonna be all right. Approximately 3000 warriors were sent, verse four says, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at the turn of the events, and their courage melted away. That's how much, by the way, was just pause. I mean, they won't, I mean, losing 36 lives is 36 lives, but, but even that they thought that they wouldn't do. They wouldn't lose 36 lives, and they're running in fear. Verse, uh, verse six, Joshua and the elders of Israel Tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. They bowed their face to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And Joshua cried out, he's praying, "O oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're gonna let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from his enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they're gonna surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth and, and then what will happen to the honor of your great name? Lean in with me if you here in verse 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. They have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it. They've hidden the things among their own belongings. And that is why the Israelites are running from, the enemies def- from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. See, Joshua and the Israelites, they don't understand why are we losing to these little guys? If the the little guys are beating us up, all the big guys surrounding us are gonna come and wipe us out. Men are dying, and they're saying, why, Lord? Like, now, I mean, you've you've sustained us through all these years in the desert. You you crossed all these seas and rivers with us, Lord. You brought down this building literally yesterday, and and now, here we sit, losing to the little guys. They cry out to God, and God tells them, go, destroy the things, or they will never experience victory again. And so what happens over the next few verses is that they take tribe by tribe, which is 12 tribes of, of literally thousands, millions of, of Jews, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, until they finally get down to the family of Achan, and it's, and it's said there that they've, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord has identified the family of Achan, and so pick it up in verse 19 as we as we wrap this up and finish the chapter, verses 19 through The end, 26. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent, with silver buried deeper than the rest. And so Joshua sent some of the men to make a search, and they ran to the tent. They found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said. With the silver buried beneath the rest, they took the things from the tent, and they brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, tent, everything he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble upon us? The Lord will now bring trouble upon you. All the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. This is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. Achan is now singled out, he's found out, his sin is dug out, it's a brutal story, it's a heavy story, but it's a story just six chapters right in, And, and really we don't even get three chapters into the Bible, but six books of the Bible and seven chapters into this book over and over again of God telling us, showing us, warning us, reminding us that he is serious about secret sin. And I grew up in the church And and I heard these stories and I learned the stories of of, of all these things and, and I didn't recognize the power, the destructiveness that secret sin was wrecking in my life throughout middle school, high school, and most of college. There's no way to deny it, that sin destroys us and others around us. And so to keep it a secret, to keep it hidden is even more destructive. And so I just wanna give you three points tonight of things that hopefully you can draw out some application for your life. And the first one is already on the screen, the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of secret sin, specifically. Seriousness of secret sin. Nearly always, it's the secrecy. It's actually the hiding of our sin that's more damaging than the actual sin. I wanna say that last phrase again because it's something that I really had to come to understand in college especially, that it's actually more dangerous when we hide our sin than most times the original sin itself. We we see this play out in all different ways. And uh, one of my children uh, who, you know, I I don't wanna name, but she's my oldest and her name is Ember and her picture's on the screen right now, um, is just a a wonderful little gal and she's about to be five in a few months. And she truly is is just, you know, one of the lights of my life. I love her to death. She is learning uh, how to not go... uh, Potty, number one, in her bed at nighttime, right? So it's like we've got it taken on in the daytime, but obviously it's harder at nighttime. And so we have this little sticker chart, right? And it's like, hey, every night that she kind of, her pull-up is dry, quote-unquote, when she wakes up, she gets a sticker. And if she gets to 10 stickers, then we're going to be able to maybe try a night uh, without the pull-up which is a dangerous idea right so we're we're like always excited about it you know ask her in the morning and and we're, we're on like day four or five a few days ago and and ember um, you know is, is so excited and telling us and and then uh, as we're kind of cleaning up the room uh, an hour or two later we realize that that it appears that ember has been stashing and hiding her her wet diapers uh, underneath her dresser changing into a new pull-up and then coming out and telling us that she has a dry uh, pull-up and of course, I mean, like, it's just, you know, and she's like not even five, so it's, it's fine. We're all there. We've all done it. Adam and Eve did it. Aiken did it. You know, the disciples did it. So it's not like she's like a bad person, okay? And not that they had pull-ups or anything like that, but I just mean like sin and hiding their sin. And, and, and what I realized even this week as I was preparing for this message is something that we had to say to Ember, which is like, Ember... I, I don't really care that you, that you went pee in your diaper. That's sort of the point, right? It's a hard concept to understand that you're asleep, that you should get up, you should go to the bathroom. Like we're learning here. What really hurts me as your father, as your mother is that you would hide it and that you would be so excited about the fact that you accomplished this goal, even though in the back of your little sweet, innocent mind, you knew where that diaper was. This is what we do all the time, that the secrecy becomes worse than the sin. And because we haven't embraced confession and repentance, then we get into this cycle where the sin just sort of compounds on itself and it becomes stronger and stronger and, and a bigger lie and a bigger thing that just keeps eating us up and, and, and it makes it really easier to hide it, to fake it, to live the double life because of how large this is in our life. And, and there's a valuable lesson in this story for us that we should not be blaming God that, are not, that is not God's fault for things that are not God's fault. Joshua, he cries out to God in verses six through eight. He says, why God would you allow this to happen? Why God would you lead us here for us to lose now? He's saying, why God, why God? He's blaming God for the defeat. Oftentimes we can do that. We can blame God when we don't get what we think or we don't have that victory in our life. And for us, it goes like this. God, I I can never have a healthy relationship. Why God? God, I I can never, you know, uh, I can't get out of this rut that I'm in. I can't get that. Position or that or that opportunity that I want over and over again that I keep trying and I keep trying or or you know God I, I just feel so foggy why do I feel so foggy why do I feel so distant from my faith God change something fix it Lord fix this and I just want to say to us don't blame God for something that's really your fault secret sin takes its toll and that's what God says to Joshua He says stop. He he says, get off of your face. Like you would think the good thing is, hey, come worship me, come pray to me, come right back here to the altar, son. No, he says, get off of your face. Stop worshiping me, stop praying me. Turn around and go take care of this sin in your life. Joshua's in front of God, and and God even says in verse 12 in in that conversation, he says, I will not be with you in verse 12. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and that I preach often, so if you've heard me say it, I hope that it's, it's helpful to, to hear it again, but this is always the reminder for me and for us that needs to be said, that fellowship with God is completely conditional. Fellowship with God is completely conditional. Relationship with God is completely unconditional. So what I mean by that is that uh, your secret sin, your hidden sin, your habitual sin as a Christian, it's not gonna change the fact that you are a son of God, that you are a daughter of God, uh, no weapon formed against you, right? There, the, all these scriptures that neither heights nor depths, uh, heaven or hell, nothing can separate you from the love of God. The relationship is unconditional, secure. From cover to cover in the Bible, it's telling us that, that our relationship with God is secure if we are in Christ, but from cover to cover, it's telling us that our fellowship with God is completely dependent upon our behavior. How close is God? How much victory to receive? God says to Achan, He says here to the Israelites, says here to Joshua, I will not be with you anymore. They're still going to be God's children. They're still going to be God's nation, but He will not be with them anymore. We'll, we'll lose those, those blessings of victory the blessings of help from God, the blessings of fullness and provision. So never underestimate how much damage the sin can do in your life. That's secret and hidden because it's, it's, it's removing the fellowship that you have with God. The New Testament would call it grieving the spirit, quenching the spirit. There's a fogginess that starts to show up. There's a distance. There's like nothing I do can be full. Nothing I do can be right. It's like I just mess everything up or I just kind of get 60% of the way every time I try it. And it's this reality that the relationship is unconditional. We could never do anything to lose that, but the fellowship is completely conditional. So what among you in your life is devoted to destruction? Remember what Moses' words were when he warned him. He said, do not take it or it will become a trap for you. God is serious about secret sin. The second thing is that there's a caution of covetousness. A caution of covetousness. It's a big word, but I wanna say to you that I believe that you and I are not thinking about covetousness enough. We're not thinking about this Enough. And what was Aiken's sin that we just read in the story? How did he disobey God? The text says that, yes, he stole things that didn't belong to him, but actually uh, the NIV, the ESV, all these versions, they say this in verse 21, explicitly in verse 21, Achan says, I coveted them, and so I took them. And so really the, the sin was not that he took them, the sin was that he coveted them, that he desired them. He wanted something that was not his. And really for us, I think what, what happens in this day and age and, and something that I, I've been really convicted of lately personally is that we've softened this word covetousness. We've softened covetousness, which is a, a commandment. There's only 10 commandments. One of them, stealing. Achan lost that one. One of them is covetousness. And so, I mean, it's a big one right out of the gate. But what we've done is we've softened this word covet and we turned it into a different word called Comparison it's softer. It's easier to digest, it's easier to understand. But the New Testament tells us, not just the Old Testament and the, and the Ten Commandments, but the New Testament says that covetousness is, is in the same category as sexual immorality and impurity. And it's, it says in Ephesians 5 that covetousness should have no place in the believer's life, no place. And yet I would say that what, what defines a lot of college students, what defines especially a lot of young adults it's covetousness. It's this thought of, of, I want that. I wish I had that. I wish that my life was like that or that that person, something like that could be in my life. And, and it is a, a form of comparison, but in a biblical, stronger sense, a more serious word, it's covetousness. I want that relationship. I want that influence. I want that social group. I want that job or those grades. I really want that money. I wish I could just have a dad who could just give me his credit card. I wish I could have a scholarship. That person doesn't even care about their scholarship. They're, they're not even going to class. I wish that I could have friends like that. I wish I could have a family like that, parents like that. See, Aiken's big mistake was that he looked at these devoted things and, and he coveted them, yes, but, but he didn't just look at them and, and, and hear me when I say this. He looked at them a second time. The sin for most of us is not that we saw the things that we shouldn't have taken, although we shouldn't have coveted. It's the second look. The, the, when we saw it, it should have been, "Oh yeah, that's that's something that I shouldn't be messing with. That's something I shouldn't want. I, I need to have, you know, a trust in God. I need to have a trust in His timing." It's that second look. He probably couldn't help. Aiken probably couldn't help seeing these things for the first time, but the second time, the second glance, the second thought was where he made that big mistake. It's that second look where covetousness starts to creep in and and say things like, I want that. My life would be better if I had that. And what it produces in us is something that, that robs us of true faith, of true contentment, of true trust in God's timing. And I really believe that college and young adult life is a factory for covetousness because everything's happening at different timelines for you. Maybe the school you wanted to get in, you didn't get in. Or maybe the group. Or, or maybe you, you didn't get that ring by spring. Or maybe you didn't get the promotion that you thought you deserved. Or, or perhaps you got really far in a relationship, but it didn't end up in marriage. And, and it's so easy because we're all in these different timelines. By the time you're like 35, most of us are kind of in the same place uh, in a lot of ways in our life. But, but right here, it's just all these things are happening at different levels. And so it's a factory for covetousness. And I say it again, you're not thinking about the sin of covetousness enough. And Satan loves it that way, Highland. Satan loves that we're not thinking about it, that we're not convicted by it, that we don't even really know how to define it because it's this silent killer of our faith. It's a leech that leeches the life out of us and it produces a weak faith when we doubt God and when we doubt his goodness, when we doubt his capabilities in us. You and I are not thinking about covetousness enough. Play defense against the second glance that produces covetousness and a weak faith. And third and finally, is that your victory keys are confession and repentance. Your victory keys are confession and repentance. This is where we start to see some of the contrast for us between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've heard it said rightfully so that that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God of the Bible. He's the same God in the Old Testament and New Testament. And it's true. And so you read a story like this and you say, Man, Achan like made a mistake, but holy cow, did he get a serious punishment. I mean, all the things that I said of, of his life being lost and his family and his his livestock and all of his, his items and, and everything and, and all of that, that the punishment for his secret sin was that intense and it was all magnified upon him and his family, all of it. But I wanna say greater still is God's love. Even though that is still true about God's wrath, it is still so true and so real that God loves us so much that he is the same. And so therefore he, he felt this longing and this loving enough in us to counter that with his wrath that had to be poured out on sin and unrighteousness to pour it out upon his son Jesus for, so that we could be missed and passed over unlike Achan who was not. God loves us so much that that he provided Jesus to take the wrath, to take the punishment. And that's the whole point of the cross, to be my Achan substitute. That's who Jesus was for me. Everything that, that God was pouring out and everything that God said about secret sin and everything that had to happen so that the fellowship could be right, so that the victory could come, all of that had to be poured out somewhere and Jesus became my Achan substitute. It was my sin in the camp, but it was Jesus on the cross. You see, God has already accomplished everything in Christ to remove the punishment of our sin. and He's done everything in Christ to, to remove the power of the sin. The punishment is on Christ and also the power of sin is removed, but it still requires something of you and me. And what is that thing? It's confession and it is repentance. As I said to you, it's these victory keys of confession and repentance. And confession is is the first word I said, which is the words of Joshua to Achan in verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, and it's really the same words that God says to you and me. He said this in verse 19, tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Don't those words sound like what God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis? Don't hide it from me. Don't hide from me. The same words that Joshua said to Achan are the same words that God says to us about confession, the New Testament does it this way. It talks, it gives us this sort of roadmap for confession. And I want to put this on the screens uh, two ways, first John and, and James. And, and I want you to make sure that you understand this roadmap for confession. Because, see, first John 1 9 says, confess your sins to God, and he and you will be forgiven. He's faithful to forgive you. But then look, James five says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. You notice the words I underlined are important there because I'm convinced, because I knew it in my life, I saw it in my life, I've seen it in, in many college students' lives over the years as a college minister, that there are many believers in Jesus who have been forgiven because they've confessed their sin to God, but they have not been healed because they have not confessed their sins to one another. We're forgiven, but we're not healed. And there's still a power, there's still an activity, there's still something that's going on and, and we don't have a place or, or a posture of confession to one another. And it's there in those moments of confession that that second word comes out, repentance. Because there's an important difference between being sorry and repenting. It's not the same thing, there are two different things. Repentance includes, yes, being sorry, but it goes a step further to say that I am so sorrowful over my sin. I'm so sorry over my sin that, that I'm turning away from it. And this is really what Joshua and God were wrestling with in the middle of that chapter. When Joshua comes in, he's he's tearing his clothes. He's saying, God, why would you do this? And, and he's on his face, he's worshiping. God says, get up, get off your face. And, and you would think like, right? I mean, isn't that what he should be doing? Worshiping God in the face of a defeat, in the face of, of some sin or something. And God says, no, take yourself and go take care of the sin. And I just wanna say to you and me, we can't worship our way out of disobedience. We can't worship our way out of disobedience. We can come into this church and we can come to the altars and we can just worship and pray and worship and pray, but that's just being sorry. That's just being sad. It's not repentance. And of course, I'm I'm encouraging you to worship tonight. I'm encouraging you to come to the altars. I'm encouraging you to, to go to God, but don't neglect doing the business with secret sin. Or God's gonna say the same thing to you that he said to me, that he said to, to Achan, get up. To Joshua, get up, go, turn away. You can't worship your way out of disobedience. So lately, as I close here, I've been watching a lot of, I don't know why, submarine movies, you know, war movies. And um, I've noticed that like nuclear bombs and you know, like nuclear war, Cold War stuff, there's always two keys, right? It's like this guy, you know, general so-and-so has key one and, you know, corporal or whatever, I don't know. That's probably like the lowest rank. I don't know, I'm sorry, ROTC guys, but like, you know, he's got the other key, right? And it's like, for both of these things to happen, for the, for the, the nuclear bomb to be armed, both keys have to be turned by two separate individuals. And so, you know, I was thinking about this and, and um, I, I had, you know, kind of, this is just my house key, but I was just thinking about how there are really two keys to this victory power in our life. And the good news for you and me is that one of these keys is held by God. And that is the key uh, that, that pours out all of the wrath upon, upon Jesus. That is the key that is turned and in locked position. And it's right there, it is in locked position, already armed, already ready to go, saying that all of my wrath has been poured about onto onto Jesus, but also in, in the power of the resurrection, not just the cross, dear Jesus, thank you for the cross. I wanna encourage you, don't forget to thank God for the resurrection because it's not just that the wrath of God was put upon Jesus, but through the resurrection, the power to overcome sin was then distributed to us too. That's where the victory power comes on us. Not just that we're not going to be punished, but now we have victory power over sin. And that key from God is turned and in locked position. Uh, There's no turning it for you. There's no turning it for anyone. It, It is there. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. God would desire that no one should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Key is turned in locked position, but you and I have a key. And no one's gonna turn that key for you. Your mom's not. Your dad's not. Your roommate's not. Your pastor's not. It's a key that that is in your hands of, of confession, and of repentance. It's not just belief. It's belief. It's confession. It's repentance. And when God's locked-in key turns with that lock-in key, there's something. I'm telling you, there's something supernatural. And I tell you from a place of experience of, of the person who just could not find victory over secret sin. It was because I was doing it all on my own. I was hiding on my own. I was doing everything I could to, to take care of it myself instead of confessing it to my roommates. And as a sophomore at Baylor, I walked into my roommate's room one night and I said, I have to tell you something that I've never told anyone before. I know I'm on staff at a church. I know I'm a church leader. I'm a worship leader. I'm on stage. But here's all the things that, that nobody knows about me that it just holds me down. It, it pulls me back. It, it makes me live a double life. And, and there's this key that was turning for me that night, where a victory power started to pour out into my life, to where I just I was able to experience fellowship with God, I was able to experience victory over sin, and I was able to experience His blessing, His provision, His help in a way that 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 worshiping or or being involved in a church or or being a pastor's kid or being a religion major, none of those things turned the key for me. It was confession and repentance and turning from my sin. I turned that key. I wanna say that some of you don't know it, but you have the wrong key in your hand. You have the key, Second Corinthians chapter seven would call it, not of godly sorrow, but of worldly sorrow. And it's like when you're fumbling with your keys and you get the wrong one out and you're like, why won't this key turn? I don't get it, I don't get it. Why is this not turning? I can't get into my house. 2 Corinthians says that that's the key of worldly sorrow where it's like I'm sorry for my sin you know, I, I want to be different, I, I want to change but, but I don't ever tell anyone about it and I don't ever change any habits and I don't ever try to make any differences or, or get anyone in the church to, to pray over me or to help me, I don't go to any of the soul cares that, that Highland provides, I don't tell my CG about it, but I am sorry about it that's, that's worldly sorrow, but there's a key of, of godly sorrow, one that leads to life, that, that's belief that's confession, and that's repentance. And there's this nuclear power level event that's ready to turn in your life, but it takes you turning that key. Jesus wants to unlock that in your life tonight. And so I close by asking this question, have you experienced the turn of that second key? Let's pray. Jesus, I don't care if if we're talking to CG leaders tonight. I don't care if we're talking to an atheist tonight, if we're talking to a pastor's kid, if we're talking to somebody who's on the church payroll. Lord, we wanna see those keys turn tonight. Lord, we know that like Achan, like Adam, like the disciples, Like so many in the New Testament and the Old Testament and the people around us in my life, it's so tempting, it's so tempting to hide our sin. But Jesus, I pray that tonight will be a night of unlocking power. Heavenly power would be unlocked, Lord, that would just blow us away, Lord, and that that would come not just through some emotional experience of a couple of good songs or a time on the altar or some time of crying, but Lord, that it would come from confession, and repentance tonight. Lord, thank you that we have that access and that opportunity to see victory power unlocked in our life, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand up now. We're gonna close with a couple of songs of worship. So you can go ahead and stand. What we're gonna do, if, if you're used to this at Highland on Sunday mornings, or you can you might be used to this uh, coming to college nights, but we have these prayer altars at the front. We've also started to add something kind of return to something here at Highland where we've introduced some prayer leaders. And so uh, I want you to hear me. There are prayer leaders gonna be circled all around the room. And if you're one of those prayer leaders, you can go ahead and make your way to one of those spaces right now. So I mean, there'll be some in the back, uh, all the way around the circle. There'll be some here at the altars. And so I wanna give you two opportunities tonight. Uh, You might need to confess some sin to somebody and that person might be sitting next to you and y'all can go to the altar or y'all can pray right here in this room. Uh, Or you might uh, need to just come to the altar alone and, and do some confession before God and some repentance before God, and that's wonderful too. Or I wanna give you that opportunity to go to someone tonight and to pray. And that might be weird. I wanna tell you the night that that happened for me when the key turned, I walked up to a complete stranger named Jeff. And Jeff told me, you need to go talk to your roommates tonight. So, I mean, I'm just saying right now, it doesn't have to be somebody you know, just go up to somebody and say, I need to confess sin to you, yes, but I need your help and accountability for me to talk to, my CG or find a group or something, a soul care group, something to help me move through this. This is an opportunity for a key to be turned and things to be unlocked in your life. And so I'm gonna encourage movement in this room tonight. And just because you're moving doesn't mean your life's a mess. I'm gonna be at the altars. I'm gonna be here praying too. There are things that, Lord, I just need to bring before you. I need to confess. I need to repent, Lord. I need to root out the sin that's that's deep in my camp Lord because I want to have victory power and loving fellowship with you so as we sing these two songs let's move in the room let's confess sin let's worship God let's let's repent of our sin to our loving God let's do that now